Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's closeness in our everyday lives. I'm so glad you're with me today. While it's not my favorite genre of movie, I do enjoy a good western every now and again. Some of my favorites include 310 to Yuma with Russell Crowe. Of course, that's a remake of an older film. True Grit is also really good. There's something really pure about the way that westerns work. You have a a good guy and a bad guy. Good guys usually wear white hats. The bad guys wear black hats. And those two usually face off in some kind of remote setting, maybe in the desert, maybe in the middle of a dusty street in town. But there is a showdown, a duel, a gunfight. Good versus evil. I think my favorite western, though, is found in Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 1, and it goes like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's a classic Western, right? A duel in the desert. You've got a white hat, Jesus, and a black hat, the devil. And they are trading shots, right? Before we look at those shots, just a few quick observations. Number one, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. It's not some random thing that happens to him. It's not some kind of woe is me moment. The Spirit is leading him into this. Secondly, note that wilderness in this setting usually means desert. I've been to this part of Israel, and it's remote and rocky and barren, and it's not a wilderness like you think of, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, full of trees and lakes and rivers. It's desert. It's rocky. It's barren. The only thing growing there is kind of desert scrub brush. It's the desert. And the last thing to note is that in the original language of this text, which is in Greek, the word for tempted can also mean tested. So Jesus wasn't just being tempted here. He was being tested. That's important to note. So let's break down each shot here. Satan fires the first shot. He hits Jesus where he is weak because Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Can you imagine not eating for 40 days? So Satan knows Jesus is hungry and hits him right where it hurts. 
If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That's a nice shot, right? Whoever said that Satan plays fair? He doesn't. He hits below the belt. And Jesus, rather than being weak, is actually very strong from his 40 days of fasting. He answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone. Of course, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy there. He fires back with a a great shot. People don't live on bread alone. For thousands of years, people of faith have found great value in fasting. They found it as a helpful way to sharpen their spiritual senses. The next shot that devil fires is also a pretty good one. He knows that people love power and that men especially love to be in powerful positions. So the devil shows Jesus a vision of all the kingdoms of the world and tells Jesus he will give it all to him, all their authority and splendor, if you will just fall down and worship me. I dare say that would be tempting for a lot of us, wouldn't it? To be in charge, to be in control, to be powerful. But in this case, of course, it would come at a great cost for Jesus. He would have to transfer his allegiance from God the Father to the devil. And of course, he ain't going to do that. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus fires back with a nice shot, doesn't he? The devil's last shot may be his best one. He leads Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, has him stand on the highest point, and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's a temptation to be spectacular, to do something flashy. In essence, for Jesus to prove himself as God's son. And Satan really does a number with this one because he quotes scripture. Did you see that? He's quoting from Psalm 91. So the devil knows scripture. That's something to pay attention to. He knows it, but of course he doesn't believe it. And he twists it, right? He takes the words out of context, tries to make them mean something they never meant. Because Psalm 91 is a psalm about God's faithfulness to his people and the people who confidently trust him and look to him for their needs and how God takes care of them. But Satan tries to twist those words into Jesus having to do something spectacular to prove himself as the son of God. So that's our gunfight in the desert, right? Three rounds. Each character gets off three pretty great shots. But it's clear at the end who the victor is because the devil slinks off. He leaves him. He was not successful in tempting Jesus to do something wrong. So how do we begin to unpack all of this? What does it mean for all of us? Well, there's a couple of things I think about. Number one is there are some very clear parallels in this passage to Israel's testing in the desert in the Old Testament. For example, there's the number 40. Israel was supposed to wander for 40 days, but because of their disobedience, ended up being 40 years, just as Jesus fasted for 40 days. There's also this picture of divine leading as the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. So God led Israel into the desert to escape Pharaoh and to move to the promised land. You see references in the Old Testament to Israel being God's son 
And here again is Jesus as God's son being tempted and tested in the desert. Of course, there's also that great picture in the Old Testament when Israel was hungry. Remember, they grumbled. They were hungry. They were starving. We're going to starve out here. And there's the whole thing about manna and how God provides for them with bread in the desert, the manna. And so, of course, the major difference is that Israel failed their testing. That's why that wandered for 40 years instead of 40 days. Isaiah 63.10 talks about how Israel grieved the Holy Spirit by their disobedience in the desert. Whereas, of course, Jesus succeeds. He passes the test. I don't know what kind of desert experiences you've been through, but you can bet that if you are God's child, his son, his daughter, at some point you will have a desert experience. You will have a testing, even a temptation. And rather than beating yourself up over that or wondering what you've done wrong to deserve the desert time, maybe it's better to look at it like, Israel and Jesus did, that God was leading you somehow into this desert experience that you might be tested, that your faith might be revealed for what it is. I think of my own desert experiences and how, though they are times I'd never want to repeat, I think about the ways that God met me and tested me and deepened my trust in him through those difficult experiences. God leads us into the desert not to punish us, but to deepen our faith in him. The second thing I would observe here has to do with the character and nature of the devil. Look at how the text talks about him. It says that the devil said to him, the devil tempted him. We're never told the devil appears to him in physical form, though I don't rule that out. But what I think is really happening here is really more of an internal struggle. Satan, the devil, is planning these tempting thoughts, ideas, visions into Jesus' mind and heart and encouraging Jesus to go after those. And I think that's a significant observation because, frankly, a lot of our theology around the devil is just lousy. We have all these caricatures of him in the red suit and the pitchfork, and, and he's tempting us to go do all these wild and crazy, insane things But if you look at what's happening here, he is really much more subtle and crafty than that, isn't he? He has carefully studied Jesus, and he goes right after him where he thinks he might find an opening. He does the same thing with us, right? He comes after us in ways that are unique to our story, our struggles. The way he tempts me will look a lot differently than the way he tempts you. But honestly, I think when a lot of people read these examples in Scripture of the devil this or Satan that, they can be very quick to poo-poo all of that. Oh, how quaint those ancient people were. They thought the devil was real. How superstitious and how quaint they were. If that's where you are, I would really encourage you to dig deeper there because I think if you look a little more closely, you will see that there are many things in this world that can probably only be explained through the existence of a malevolent spiritual being. I really don't think that all the evil and suffering in this world can be explained merely through human brokenness, though I certainly think a lot of it can. If you doubt me on this, I would really encourage you to talk to people who are working on the front lines of 
justice issues, people who are fighting for the weak and the powerless and the disenfranchised, they will tell you almost to a person that the opposition they encounter is stark, that it's not just people, but at times there just seems to be this supernatural force that thwarts their every move, that attempts to block every good thing they try to do. There's a hostility and a resistance to the good work they are trying to do in the world. As just one example, I would point you to my good friends, Matt and Laura Parker, who run a ministry called the Exodus Road out of Colorado Springs. They are on the front lines of fighting child sex trafficking. I think we would all agree that's a horrific evil in our world. And they talk about the great spiritual resistance they encounter as they try to set children free from that awful trap. So make no mistake, the devil is real, and it is his mission to set his will against us, to oppose any movement we make towards life, towards healing, towards wholeness. He will resist us. And notice how the devil comes at Jesus in these temptations. In two of the instances, the devil goes right after his identity. If you are the son of God, he says, and I can almost hear him sneering that, if you're really the son of God, because it's important to note at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't really done anything. He's not yet inaugurated his public ministry. So the devil goes right after his very identity, and he will do that with you also. He will come right after you, beloved son or daughter, and question your very identity. If you are really God's child, why would you say something like that? Or, you call yourself a Christian? Look at what you just did. He will question and attack your very identity to throw you off. And again, most of this happens internally, right? It's so quick. It happens in our mind. It happens in our heart. And before we know it, our whole day is off the rails because of these distracting and confusing and condemning thoughts, right? Just because your enemy is invisible doesn't mean that he is not real. And all that can be daunting to think about, right? But the hope I take from this passage is the way that Jesus responds to the devil. First of all, Jesus clearly responds in this passage as a human being, as a man who is fully depending upon God to rescue him. Jesus had immense power, and he could have just blown the devil out into the stratosphere if he wanted to, right? But no, instead, he humbly submits himself to God's testing and resists the devil through his words. And not just his own words, but the words of Scripture. So when you begin to hear those tempting and condemning and accusing thoughts in your mind and in your heart, you have to counter those, this text tells us. You have to fire back. You can't just let the devil keep firing shots at you and not responding. Jesus fires back each time. So when you hear a negative thought, fire back. And this passage certainly speaks a lot about the importance of having Scripture stored in our mind and in our hearts so we can actively resist him when he begins to speak to us in that condemning voice. So whatever your struggles are this week, whatever you're going through, whatever battle you're fighting, maybe you're out in the middle of the desert somewhere and you feel all alone, know that God is with you. 
He's brought you to this place for a reason, and he will be with you to help you actively resist the devil and to stand firm in your faith. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.